Hello, Peter Pearls listeners, and welcome back to another Monday re-release. It is Monday, February 5th, and today we are re-releasing one of our earliest publication webinars brought to you by now Dr. Olivia Davies, who at the time was a medical student. The presentation is titled Hamartomas and Midline Anomalies in Association with Infantile Hemangiomas, Face and Lumbar Syndromes. This presentation is an overview of a peer-reviewed study and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any decisions related to medical care should be made in consultation with a qualified healthcare provider. If you would like to view the original presentation in its video format, please follow the link in the show notes. Hi, and thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Olivia Davies, and I'm a third-year medical student. I'm so excited that you are joining me today for a Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance webinar. I am here on behalf of my co-authors to talk to you more about a paper that we recently published in the Pediatric Dermatology Journal entitled Hamartomas and Midline Anomalies in Association with Infantile Hemangiomas, Face and Lumbar Syndromes. Before I talk more about our study, let's first make sure we're all on the same page and define some terms. We'll start with the word hamartoma. Hamartomas are benign, meaning non-cancerous, growths that contain a mixture of abnormal cells and tissues. Hamartomas are diagnosed by histopathology, which is the study of cells and tissues using a microscope to look for disease. Pathologists and dermatopathologists typically look at tissue from patients who have had skin biopsies performed in clinic. This is a picture from our paper, which shows what someone might see under the microscope when examining tissue from a chin hamartoma. Next, I want to define the phrase midline anomalies and give a few examples of these. Midline anomalies are abnormal findings that affect the midline of the body and include sternal defects, sternal clefts, sternal pits, super umbilical raffes, these can look like scars that extend upward from the belly button, ectopic thyroids, ectopic meaning in an abnormal location, hypopituitarism, and midline sternal papules or hematomas. Next, let's define infantile hemangiomas. These are birthmarks made from blood vessels. They can vary in size, shape, color, and behavior. They are the most common benign tumors in children and are seen more commonly in girls, twins, preterm infants, and infants with a low birth weight. Next, let's discuss and define face syndrome. Face syndrome is a rare multi-system disorder that is diagnosed when a variable number of the following findings are seen in the same child. These findings can include posterior fossa anomalies, hemangioma, arterial lesions, cardiac anomalies such as aortic coarctation, eye abnormalities, and sternal or midline defects. Not all infants who have one of these findings will be diagnosed with face, and not all infants with face syndrome will have all of these findings. Last, let's talk about and define lumbar syndrome. Lumbar, which is also sometimes called pelvis or sacral syndrome, is another syndrome that can be diagnosed in newborns who have an infantile hemangioma and a midline lesion. The diagnosis of lumbar, much like face syndrome, requires a variable combination of the following findings and can include lower body hemangioma, urogenital anomalies involving the internal and external genitalia and urethra, ulceration, myelopathy, including muscle weakness and pain, bone deformities, anal rectal malformations, arterial anomalies, and renal anomalies. Just like in face, not all children with one or more of these findings will be diagnosed with lumbar syndrome, and not all children with lumbar syndrome will have all of these findings. 
As you might have noticed, face and lumbar syndromes seem to have a lot of similarities. Some people think that face and lumbar are actually the same disease, with face affecting the upper half and lumbar affecting the lower half of the body. But because we don't know yet the genetic causes for either of these diseases, we're unable to say if this is true. Some other similarities seen between face and lumbar syndrome include female predominance, segmental hemangiomas, spectrum of anomalies and severity, under-recognition clinically, and the fact that both can be associated with midline lesions. Now that we've defined some important terms and discussed the similarities seen in face and lumbar, I'm going to dive into the study. As I mentioned, infantile hemangiomas can be associated with midline anomalies in face, lumbar, and sometimes in patients who don't meet the diagnostic criteria for face or lumbar. In order to learn more about how and why some children get infantile hemangiomas, we decided to study the tissues and cells from the midline lesions seen in children with both infantile hemangiomas and midline lesions. We hypothesized that studying midline lesions in these patients would potentially help us understand more about what cells might be involved in the formation of infantile hemangiomas. Patients were included in our study if they had an infantile hemangioma and a midline lesion. We looked at 18 midline lesions from 13 patients to look for similarities that might point to which cell types were involved in the formation of both midline lesions and infantile hemangiomas. Of the 13 patients included in this study, seven were diagnosed with face syndrome, four were diagnosed with lumbar syndrome, and two had non-syndromic infantile hemangiomas plus a midline lesion. We saw an array of midline lesions and associated anomalies, which highlighted the spectrum of findings that can be seen in infants with face, lumbar, or non-syndromic infantile hemangiomas. Here you can see a portion of a table that shows patients identified by their case numbers and their associated midline lesions, the location of their infantile hemangiomas, any other clinical features that were noted, and their syndromic diagnoses, if applicable. As mentioned earlier, not all patients with midline lesions will meet the diagnostic criteria for face or lumbar syndrome. Here you can see that patient one, labeled as case one, was not diagnosed with face or lumbar, but did have an infantile hemangioma and two midline lesions diagnosed on pathology as rhabdomyomatous mesenchymal hematomas. Here you can see photos of two different patients with different appearing midline anomalies. However, when the tissue from these midline anomalies was examined under the microscope, both were diagnosed with rhabdomyomatous mesenchymal hematomas. Rhabdomyomatous means that it looks similar to other tumors made of striated muscle. Mesenchymal refers to the type of cells seen. Mesenchymal cells are stem cells that normally become, for example, bones, cartilage, muscle, and fat. Rhabdomyomatous mesenchymal hematomas are rare benign growths that present at birth and are often found on the midline of the body. Although this kind of non-cancerous growth has been seen before in other patients, our paper is the first to associate rhabdomyomatous mesenchymal hematomas with face syndrome. Finding these cells in the midline lesions of patients with face and other non-syndromic infantile hemangioma-related midline anomalies provides clues as to how and why infantile hemangiomas form. Some people think that these midline lesions occur when mesenchymal cells do not migrate to the right location during development and or do not change into their future cell types. We also saw another theme emerge. Five of the 13 patients with large infantile hemangiomas had chin hematomas. When we looked at these chin hematomas under the microscope, we saw that one was a folliculosebaceous cystic hematoma. Folliculosebaceous cystic hematomas are rare and are made from an abnormal growth of sebaceous glands, hair follicles, and mesenchymal 
components normally found in the skin. Again, we noticed that mesenchymal cells were involved in this finding. Previous studies have mapped out the locations of infantile hemangiomas seen in children to look for a pattern. These studies found that common hemangioma boundaries, similar in many children, correspond to the meeting point between two different types of mesenchymal cells during development. This means that hemangiomas seem to appear in locations defined by mesenchymal cell migration. Additionally, other researchers have shown that cells from infantile hemangiomas can act like mesenchymal cells. Finally, some of the midline lesions we identified in our study, such as rhabdomyomatous mesenchymal hamartomas and folliculosebaceous cystic hamartomas, have been shown to be caused by an abnormal migration of mesenchymal cells. All of these findings put together point toward mesenchymal cell involvement in the formation of infantile hemangiomas. So the biggest takeaway from this study is that although we don't know the cause of infantile hemangiomas, we have shown that mesenchymal cells might be involved in the formation of infantile hemangiomas because they are involved in the formation of midline lesions that appear with infantile hemangiomas. We still have a lot to learn. Finally, I want to thank our patients. I want to thank PEDRA, Hemangioma Investigators Group, Face Syndrome Community, Pediatric Dermatology Journal, and our funders, National Institutes of Arthritis and Musculoskeletal and Skin Disease, as well as Face Foundation Canada. Finally, I want to thank you for tuning in to learn more about this exciting area of pediatric dermatology.